today in the book of Acts, so you can go ahead and turn there to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7, Acts chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what, he, what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurius, and Nic- Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Lord, you care so much for us. You not only save us from our sin, but you desire to direct your church by your word. Father, may we heed your word. As a body, as a church, as a faith family, may we heed your word. Give us us from your word, we pray now, wisdom, By your Spirit, bring us conviction. Help us, we pray. Give me the grace now, Lord, to discern and to divide your word rightly. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is that on, Tony? Sorry, I forgot to turn that on. Is it on now? Sorry. Sorry, Tony. Um, So today we're going to be talking, the title of today's message is again, Church Matters, Leaders That Serve. Um, And we're talking, this is the second week in a row, we've been talking about deacons and who are deacons and what deacons do. And last week we looked at the heart of a deacon is the heart of a servant, which is what we're all called to. Jesus Christ laid down his life. He said, my life for yours, therefore your cry ought to be my life for others in that way. We saw that last week, but this week I want us to take another look um, at another passage, Um, and here's here's part of the reason why. Uh, The deacons that have served here, some of them, so I mentioned last week, Norman has served as a deacon, I figured up the year, 2010, I think, is is that right when you came on? Think about what you were doing in 2010, okay? Norman was serving as a deacon starting back then, Tony's been serving for almost eight years. Jared's been going for almost six years. It's been, so our deacons, I'll say, they've been serving for a very long time, and they're very tired, <laughs> rightfully so. 
I, I would say rightfully so. And I think I, I'll encourage you, if you haven't told them last week, tell them thank you. Because I'll say the job of a deacon, the reason why you're able to open the door every week and it be warm in here, or the w- reason why you're able to see that beautiful entryway out there is because of deacons. The reason there's not like dirt all over the floor, well, part of that is Brittany, but it's part of the deacons as well. Like there's, there's many other pieces I want us to see, and we're, we're going to look at it this week and next week. But what if I told you in the Bible, there is a method, and you, you'll hear preachers talk all the time about like the next great church, church um, uh, growth strategy. But what if I told you in the Bible there, was, there is a church growth strategy already laid out for us? What if I told you that? What if I said that there's actually already in the New Testament a prescribed, this, you want your church to grow? Here's how you get your church to grow. What if I told you that? I hope you would, you would question it at first because you hear this, you hear this, you turn on any, any uh, Christian preaching service, you'll hear preachers talk about this is the next church growth model. But the New Testament gives. This is how you want to see the church grow. This is how it happens. So last week we saw that Christians are called to be deacons, now in a general sense, serving from a gospel-shaped heart which says, my life for yours. But today I want us to see that deacons lead the church by serving the church. And deacons are spirit-filled, shock-absorbing servants who unite the church through service. And I want us to all see today what that has to do with us. And I want to tell you it has a lot to do with us. There's a lot here for us as a church. This isn't just for deacons. This is for all of us. So I want us to see today that, that, uh, that piece. So notice, jump down in, in Acts 6 again. That's where we're looking. Acts 6, and jump down to verse 1. Now, we've talked about this just briefly a couple weeks ago, but I want to come back here. Acts 6, notice what it says. Notice the context of what's happening. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now, I want you to notice there that in these days, the numbers were, when the disciples were increasing in number. Here's what you should know. Anytime more people, and this is a very simple truism, but we see it right here. Anytime you get more people together, you get more problems together. That the increase, there's a, there's a direct correlation. When more people come, there are more issues. Let me, let me say this to us as a church. If 100 people showed up to our church next week, filled the church, and they're like, we are committed to the mission of the gospel here at Gospel Life Baptist Church. Maybe even some of them amazingly were like converted. I want to say something, and I think based even on this text, I don't think we could care for them. I, I literally don't think we could care for them. They would come with issues so large that me and you would be like, oh, well, we'll, we'll pray about it. <laughs> I don't know. How, who's, who's the mother here? Who's the father here? We don't... Wait, wait, what? They would come with issues the size of the Titanic. And we wouldn't know what to do with them. I wouldn't know what to do with them. Rightfully so. And this is what was happening to them. Thousands of people were coming to faith. Now, we shouldn't... I, this is one reason why I say, and I'll, you hear me say it in other places, I pray for slow growth in our church. I don't pray for hundred people to show up next week and be committed to our church, because the issues that would come with that would be so large. We would have, you see, that's what actually, what, the first thing that happened to the church, that's the second thing, not the first thing, that divided the church almost in the New Testament was an issue like this, was church growth. 
Now, notice what happens. Again, notice again what happened, verse, verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint. Now, you're probably, if you've been in church for any length of time, you're like, a complaint, of course, of course, they're in the church. But that's, that's how all people are. Hear me, this is not unique to the church. A complaint amongst the church, and, and even if, we, if you hear people say, well, we should return to a New Testament church, I'd say you're right, and they still had complaints. They weren't even out of the first century yet, and they still had complaints. A hundred years later, they're complaining about the color of the carpet. You can hear them. The Hellenists are like, we want red. The Hebrews are like, we want blue. You can hear the complaints starting to rise, but notice what their complaints were over. So a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, I've said this before, but one of the issues, one of the main issues was an ethnic issue, was a socio-ethnic issue. The Hellenists, which if you're like me, you probably don't know what the Hellenists are, but they were the Greek-speaking Jews. And to be a Greek-speaking Jew was basically to be in the Jewish community, a reject of the Jewish community. So, and then you have the Hebrews, who were ethnic Jews. So before they came to Christ, these two people hated each other. They didn't get along. The Hellenists, you guys were the rejects. The Jews, well, we're the, we're the true breed of Christian. And here they are, worshiping together. Uh-oh. You see what's forming? And in this moment, what could have happened is there could have been a split, and we could always stand back and be like, oh, look, well, there's the Hellenist branch of the church of Jerusalem, and here's the Hebrew branch. They just go make two different churches. That's not what they did. Notice what they did. Now, I would actually argue as well, verse 1, notice again what's happening. So the Hellenists are complaining because their widows are being neglected. They're not being cared for like they think they should be. Now, I would argue this issue is also compounded that there's more widows in Jerusalem? Because you've got to think, Jerusalem is the place that all the Jews would come. If you want to be buried in Jerusalem, you need to go live in Jerusalem. And so, what would happen is that families would move there, the husband would die, and then you'd have widows. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of widows, no welfare system, no ability to care for themselves. So I want you to see that deacons are first, they are formed for adversity. They are a people. They are the, the, the class or the office of deacon is formed for adversity. They're not formed because the church got together and said, hey, you know what we need? We need a deacon board. That's what we need here. They came about because they said, we don't even know how to feed these people. There are thousands of people flocking here. The gospel's going out. And I would argue at this moment, notice, notice what they did again. Now, notice what happens in verse 2, and I want to make a point from it. So, form for adversity, notice what happens. And the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Now, I would argue, and this is, this is just a, a point, I want you to notice that even in the first century, I think this would, this would be a struggle for us to do in the modern church for, for several reasons. For one, sometimes in ministry, it's hard for people to examine the ministry. It's hard for them to look at it because what ends up happening is there's a ministry that comes that becomes almost what I've heard people call a pet ministry. Well, this is one we just love. It had success in the past, but I love what Warren Wiersbe said. 
He says, any ministry or organization that thinks its success will go on automatically is heading for failure. I want you to hear that again. Any ministry or organization that thinks its success will go on automatically is heading for failure. We must regularly examine our lives and our ministries lest we start taking things for granted. And I will tell you, if a hundred people showed up here with all their issues and all their lack of discipleship in one Sunday, we would be in a lot of trouble. And we, I don't know how we would care for them. They didn't know how they'd care for them. So you see the issue here. Now notice what happens. Notice again, jump down to verse 1. He says, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their wives were being neglected in the daily distribution. So apparently the twelve was set up to, to distribute food, and it became too much for them. And I want you to notice one of the primary tasks of deacons, and it's something they just do. This is not something they actually like probably try hard to do. This is something they're just actively good at, which is simply to be shock absorbers for church unity. You know what I can guarantee you you've never been thankful for? Maybe you have. Your suspension system on your car. Maybe you have. Maybe you drive down the road and you're like, Lord, thank you I can go over this bump. If your suspension system on your car went out as you drove out of this driveway, thankfully now it's not as bad as it was with the potholes, but as you drove out prior, you would hit a bump, and if there was no suspension in your car, you know what your car would do? Or you know what you would do in your car? hit your head against the ceiling. But every time you drive out of here, what happens? Maybe not even. If you're driving a Mercedes. My cars always used to go, the the suspension was always going out of my cars. So I always felt the, 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 the holes I'd hit. But if you're driving a really nice car, you don't feel anything. You know why? Shock absorbers. You know why? Because shock absorbers take it all. And the office of deacon hasn't always existed. But they looked around and they said, hey, there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of bumps happening around here. You know what we need? We need some deacons. We need some servants who are going to be called literally servants of the church. All Christians are meant to serve and be served, deaconed and to be deaconed. But the special emphasis for the office of deacon is unity. And you know what's funny? And the deacons I've known, they don't even know they're doing it. If you'd ask them, hey, what are you doing here? They're like, I'm just being me. I'm just being faithful. And I would argue that a lack of deacons invites a lack of unity. Listen to just one example. I found this example in a book on deacons, and I think it's helpful. He says, a few years ago, now this is a church example, not our church, but another one. We had to ask an associate pastor to resign due to some prolonged relational disagreement and tension. Now, you know the story. You've heard how this goes in the past, don't you? They, they ask him to leave. They, they, they remove him from office. But there were people who loved this associate pastor. So what happens? There's a group of people in the church, and they start to form, and they start to have committees, and they start to get all upset. And they don't trust the pastors anymore because of their fractured relationship And you know what the church needed in that moment? And thankfully, by the grace of God, what they had was a deacon. A a deacon whose cry of his life was my life for yours. I'm going to step right in the middle of this conflict. And thankfully, the church didn't split. You know why the church didn't split? Because they had deacons. And I would argue, even for our own church, you guys have been here 
<laughs> he would never say it himself, so I'll say it for him. Norman, Norman has been here through three pastoral transitions. Every pastor of this church, except for the founding pastor, was found by Norman. I can guarantee you, you've lived in this area long enough, you can hear church splits that have happened for far less than, than finding a new pastor. We're all sitting here still. <laughs> Praise God for deacons. Praise God for deacons, and they're worthy. They're worthy to be found more of so that we can have an increase of ministry in that way. Notice again what happens in verse 2. And the 12, this is what they did. So that's what happens. They're, they're formed for adversity. And here's what happens in verse 2. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Now, I've kind of already looked at this, but I'll mention it again. It's the priority of the word of God. The priority of the word of God emerges. And this happens anytime there's a crisis. You find out real quick what people love. Not only what they love, but what is most important in their ministry. Is it the priority of the word? And I love what Wearsby, he says, even today, some pastors are so busy with secondary tasks that they fail to spend adequate time in study and in prayer. This creates a spiritual deficiency in a church that makes it easy for problems to develop. So do you hear the issue? It's the same issue in our own day. The pastor, he's one man, he can't, he can't do everything, and he's, busy, he's burdened down by so many things. You know what that man needs? That man needs deacons. That man needs people who say, my life for yours. Now notice again what they say. It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Now in their sense, to serve tables meant that they were literally going to send people to go hungry. That's not okay. That was so not okay to them. Notice what it says again. It's, they summoned the full number of the disciples. Day of, they're like, hey, we got a meeting today. <laughs> we need to talk about this system, and it's a problem. So I want you to notice, though, I just want to draw some distinctions for you between pastors and deacons. Here's the first. It's shepherding versus practical doing. So we've seen before that elders and pastors are for shepherding, whereas deacons are for practical doing. Now, I want, to, I want you to think for a second. What do you think a deacon does? What do you think a deacon does? There, there are many who would see deacons as kind of a pastor in training. Uh, there's, a, there's a book that really put some helpful, helpful names to them. is Pastor in Training Pete. And it sounds like this. Heard they're making you a deacon. How long do you think they'll make you? How long before you make it, they'll make you an elder? That, that's not what deacons are for. It's a misunderstanding of what a deacon's for. A deacon's not a, oh, you're, jun- you're JV pastorate. That's what you are. You're a JV. You're just junior varsity pastors. No, 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 no. Or toolbox Terrence, you're just good at fixing things. We'll make you a deacon. Now, there are some men, like Jared especially, who's excellent at fixing things. You see that porch out there? You probably don't even notice it. You don't get wet anymore when we walk on the porch. You know why? We have Jared. Any, any, any facility things around here, Jared has his finger on it or touches it at some point. But we don't have Jared just because he can fix things. Did you know that? I've watched that man over and over and over again be so much more than a mechanic, though he likes that the best, though you like that the best. You are so much more than just a man with a, man with a hammer. Or what about Spreadsheet Sam? 
Well, our budget's a mess. We're looking for another financial shortfall. What we need is just someone to come in and fix our money problems. We're corporate cliff. Seminaries may teach ancient languages, bless their heart, but they can't teach executive skills. What we need is some, some, some corporate men. Oh, I love this one. Or Vito Vinny. What's the point of being deacons if you're just a yes man? Of course I tell Pastor Daniel how it is. Who else will? Besides, I only want to keep him humble. Last thing we need is a puffed up pastor. Maybe that's what you think you're a deacon. Uh, and a lot of these are very, they're, they're very similar to some, how some churches operate. Or pseudo-elder Steve. Let me give you this one, this last one. It's... Well, deacons, we all know, they really are the ones who run the show. No, 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 no. None of these. All of these are focusing. They're a conflation of elders and pastors, what their role is. It's a conflation of that and deacons. So it's shepherding versus practical doing. I want you to also see it's oversight versus service. Oversight versus service. So oversight is what a pastor elder is meant to do, whereas deacons are to be servants. And this is what it looks like. Here's, here's the very simple chart for what deacons do, very simply. Deacons, and this says, seize a problem. They see a problem. So maybe it's feed the hungry, clothe the naked, put in a wheelchair ramp. We could, we could name off thousands and thousands of problems. So they see the problem, and you know what their first response is? I need to call pastor. I need to call the pastor and complain. That's not what they do. They see the pastor They want to, this is the second thing, they want to safeguard unity, meaning that they know that if this goes unresolved, it's going to create a problem. And then here's the third thing they do. They think creatively to solve the problem. And again, I would argue that you really only are probably going to see the fruits of this. You know, you don't see, most of the time, we can see a problem we can, we can maybe even see that there's a piece of unity, but a deacon, he sees this is going to be a problem. I need to address this. And then here's the last piece he does, very simply. He solves the problem. You know, when we have that, here, just give you a simple example of the porch sitting out there. Jared, I'll, get, I'll bring this up because he, he's been very fruitful in this way. He sees a problem. He sees that when we walk out on the porch, we all get wet <laughs> when it rains, when we walk out on the porch, it's really tough for young moms and others to come up and, and actually just walk in in the rain. Or if people need to go downstairs, he saw, hey, you know what, if we don't have that out there, people have to walk through the rain or they have to get up and walk up front. And he knew that's going to create a problem. And you know what we did? We built a roof. <laughs> you know what I didn't have to do by myself? Build a roof. <laughs> and in that way, I was free to preach the word of God. Praise God for men like that. We just need more of them. We need more of them. We need more from our own gathering. And I would argue here for, for a, another piece, service is no less spiritual than shepherding. Can you imagine those elders, pastors, apostles sitting there preaching the word week in, week out while widows are going hungry? It is no less spiritual It is no less spiritual. I would actually argue to think that it's less spiritual is to be Gnostic in our thinking, meaning that we prioritize the the spiritual above the physical. We are no less spiritual than shepherding. What good is it, my brothers, if if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them things needed for the body, what good is it? We need deacons in our own church and praise God for them. So thirdly, so it's the priority of the word. Thirdly, it's the order within the house of God. There's order within the house of God. This is not meant to be a free-for-all. But let me ask you just real quick. Do you think right now that the risen Lord cares how this church is structured? That's a, this is a very important question. Does the risen Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, sitting at His Father's right hand, does He care how this church is structured? Of course He does. Actually, He not only cares how this church is structured, He cares how that church is structured, and that church is structured, and that church is structured. But you know what we're responsible for? How this church is structured. That's the only one we're responsible for. Now notice, I want you to notice what they do, again, in verse 3. So he says, they say in verse 2, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, this is what their conclusion is. Now, that's brothers and sisters. That's calling together the whole church. Pick out from among you seven men of good repute. So I want you to see that the church, you all, not just me, carefully selects godly men. That all of us together, not just the pastor, not just the deacons, the church as a whole, the corporate body of Christ carefully selects. That means carefully looking after godly men to select. Now again, notice what he says in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you. So again, we don't call in deacons. We don't pay for deacons. Well, let's call 1-800-DEACON and they'll send us some deacons. No, we pick out from among us deacons, seven men of good repute. Now, I want you to look at, we'll we'll look at next week more what they are or who they are in that way, but I want you to notice just three things they list here. And the first is a good reputation in verse three. Pick out from yourself seven men of good repute. Now, that word reputation, it's a very interesting word. It's actually where we get the word martyr from. So, the word martyr truly just means a testimony or, or a Martyreo is the Greek, and I think it's helpful to say a good reputation. When you hear that word, don't just hear, oh, he has a good reputation. He has a good testimony. This man is able to stand up and speak, not, not just stand up and speak, but he's able to see to others. And we actually notice, notice Stephen. He's the first martyr of the church, and he has a very good reputation. We could look, I, I think it would be worthwhile looking at next week, but it's simply just he has a testimony. He's the testimony of the grace of God in his life. So notice, again, verse 3. Jump down there. He says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from yourselves among you seven men of good repute, or good, good martyreo, good testimony. Secondly, full of the Spirit. Now, what does a man full of the Spirit look like? You, you shouldn't even have to turn your page. You might have to turn your page one page. But I want you to see what a man full of the Spirit, which is how Stephen is described, what he looks like what he does. Verse, verse 6, or verse 8, if you jump down to verse 8, it says, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And not only does, that, that, does it say that, but if you get to the end of chapter 7, where Stephen is stoned, listen to what it says. You want to see a man full of the Spirit? Listen to what he says. But he, 
again, Luke tells us, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they, that's the crowds who were stoning him, cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, listen to what a man full of the Spirit sounds like. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Not done. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. They are stoning him to death. And a man full of the Spirit in that moment, sitting there literally dying on his deathbed, and all he can say is, Lord, don't hold this against them. And when he had said this, he had fallen asleep. You want to know what a man full of the Spirit looks like? It looks like a man who's quick to forgive. It looks like a man who's quick to reconcile. So that's, that's a big piece. We could look at that for a long time with Stephen, because I think it's very worthwhile, but I don't think we will. Notice, so he's full of the Spirit, verse 3. He also has wisdom, that he's full of wisdom. They're required to be wise according to salvation. Now, we're going to look at this more thoroughly next week of what, what deacons are. So the church carefully seeks them out. They carefully selects them. But there's another piece of this as well. The elders appoint them. So you, I want you to see that the church does something that we would describe in this church as nominating them. We think this man should be qualified. This man's qualified. We've seen his life. This man should be a deacon. But that's not all that happens. I would argue that the elders then, verse 3, we see it again, the elders appoint them. So pick out from among yourselves, verse 3, seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Do you hear it? So right there we see the church is the one who calls them out, but yet the elders appoint them. I will say, it's at this moment, or it's at this point in the text that I think many churches go astray. I cannot tell you the number of pastors that I talk to that go into a church revitalization job, and the worst people in that church are their deacons. Praise God, I did not walk into a situation like that. And there is so much heartache that comes from the men who brought you into the church are the same men who want to rip you out of it. There is infinite. Deacons either do one of two things. They're either shock absorber and you don't even feel them. All you feel is, hey, we didn't really get much of a bump here. Or I would argue that they can be the people who destroy a church, literally destroy it from the inside out. And actually, just notice this. Look down in verse 5. Notice Nicolaus. Does that guy sound familiar? I would argue that I think that's the same Nicolaitan, the, the, the guy that John tells them in Revelation. He's a Nicolaitan, meaning that he's a false teacher. Okay? So this isn't even new for us, I would actually argue. This is actually very old. So deacons, as one pastor said, are not just men who can stand when they pee. Okay? That's not all we're looking at for. We're looking for men who are godly. Men who are full of the Spirit. Men who, who will not be like Nicolaus. And the other reason is that because elders need them. I desperately need deacons. 
just like Moses we saw, who was trying to handle everything until his father-in-law came and said, what are you doing? Why are you handling every case in Israel? Exodus 18, again, and Moses' father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, and he said, what is this thing you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they had a dispute, they'd come to me and I'd decide between one person and another, and I'd make them know the statutes of God and his law. Now, obviously, there's differences between elders and Moses. Uh, We won't get there other than just to say Moses needed other men around him. Now, notice what he says. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. I can promise you, when you see a worn-out pastor, you can see, you can guarantee you there's a man who's carrying too much. I promise you. Where there's a worn-out pastor is a man who's carrying more than he ought to carry. Now notice, again, what the whole church does. So the, so the church carefully examines and says, hey, this, these are the men for us. The elders appoint them, but I want you to notice who commissions them. It comes full circle. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen. So they start to name off the seven deacons they chose. So I want you to see that the church commissions. So not only does the church carefully examine godly men, the elders appoint them, then the church themselves says, these are our guys. These are the ones who are, gonna, who are going to serve us in that way. Now notice, jump down to verse 5. What they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, and I'm not going to name all those guys off again, because I'm probably going to mispronounce their names. So if you want to know the pronunciation, talk to Molly in the back. <laughs> Molly will give you the pronunciation. No, I'm just kidding. Molly always thankfully corrects me when I'm, when I'm wrong with my pronunciations. But I want you to notice one interesting piece with them is they are all Greek names. Every one of them, Greek names. Meaning that the Hebrews, the Hellenists, they all got together and said, you know who we need to fix this problem with the, with the Hellenists? Hellenists. We're going to set up men who are going to care for the needs of those who are just like them, who know the ins and outs, who are able to care for them. You know what the church does? Notice what they do in verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the whole church commissions them out. I want to say at this point that commissioning or the laying on of hands in that way is not some strange spiritual exercise. When you lay hands on somebody, and we, just like you all did for me when I came here, what you all did was you said, this is our pastor. And what you do when you do this to deacons is you say, these are our deacons, and they're going to serve us in that way. These are our guys. We've commissioned them here to serve us, and it is important. Now, I want to close with this. I want you to see the result of deacons. So, very simply, they're formed for adversity, they have the priority of the Word of God, and uh, there's order within the house of God, but I want you to see what happens when deacons function properly and they are a part of a church. It comes right back to the church growth model. You want to grow our church here in Kaiser? You want to grow our church here in, 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 in this place? Notice how the first century church did it. Here's the, here's the result. So the deacons, they started going out 
the elders continue, the elders' apostles continued to preach the word. The deacons were then the hands and feet. They were like administrators of what the, what the elders desired to see happen. Hey, this, this widow needs something. They didn't have to go do it. They couldn't go do it. They couldn't go do it all. So what went after them? Deacons. Notice what happens. The result. The word of God increased. Notice again what it says in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. Do you know why? Because the elder, pastor, apostle in that moment, now I'm not an apostle, but elder, pastor now, they're able to focus on the word of God. They're able to tend to people spiritually. They're able to do soul care with people within the church. And that's what their vein is. They're not able to say, so they go and meet with, with Aunt Betty that, that's a part of the church. There's not an Aunt Betty here, but let's pretend she is. And they're talking to her and they're praying with her and they're, they're praying over her and then come to find out, oh wait, she needs a wheelchair ramp. Pastor doesn't have time to do that and to do all the other things he has to do. But what, who does? There comes the deacons. Praise God. Spirit-filled men with a hammer, with a purpose, knowing, knowing we're caring for, for Miss Betty here. Now notice what happens again. And the word of God increased, continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Okay, now remember, we saw this in Acts 2. I say this all the time from Acts 2. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There is not a silver bullet source of evangelism. Nope. The Lord is the one who adds to our number day by day. The Lord is the one who adds to our number but he does it through means. He does it through means, and when the deacons and the apostles and the elders are in their right vein, you know what the church does? It grows. Slowly but surely, it grows. And the word of, the, uh, the word of God continued to increase, and the n- number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. I want you to notice this last piece of verse 7, because I think it's very important. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, that probably, that, that does, it does sound like a very kind of strange way to conclude this text. He says, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, there was approximately, in Jerusalem, there would have been approximately about 8,000 priests, okay? So, when you think priests, we're, you, you don't always, you should not always have in your brain just the Pharisees, okay? There were actually many levels of priests, and the majority of them would actually be lower-ranking priests. And typically, a lower-ranking priest, one common theme between them, they were very poor. They didn't have a lot. They were not well-off. They served under leaders who were wealthy, and they were wealthy upon their backs. And they were likely the first ones to notice the kind of care and compassion associated with the church. The priests, the ones who in the society, yeah, they were, they were associated with the temple. They would maybe come and cut wood. They would maybe, there were many, many tasks for the priests to do. But why mention that? Why mention that a many, many priests came to know, came, came to be Christians? Why would the priests especially be converted? Could it be that the priests saw what Jesus said in John 13? And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. 
Verse 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. They didn't even have to tell them. They didn't even have to tell the priests, but they did. Because the old way of doing things was hating one another. Hating one another and and hating each other. But when the priests saw these guys, when the priests saw this community, here's their widows, they're not being cared for well. But oh look, here comes a horde of deacons. I can't tell you the number of people, and I know you all talk to them too, who say something to the effect of, I left this church because this church didn't care for me. And what they mean by that, I will say probably seven, to ten, seven out of ten times, what they mean by that is pastor himself did not come and care for me. That's what they mean. Pastor himself. It, it, it would be things like this. I actually just talked to a, a friend this last week. said something very similar. He said there was a guy in his church complaining to him that oh, nobody in this church cares for me. So he went to visit him in the hospital, and as he was sitting there in the hospital, two deacons came by to check in on the guy. And in that moment, he was still talking about the fact that nobody in the church cares for him. And the pastor just happened to notice and pay attention to, two deacons just came by to see you. But yeah, they're not you. That's his whole point. It's like, the pastor cannot be everyone's everything which is why deacons are so critically important. And I want to say to you, if, you, if you're an unbeliever here today, and you're sitting there, maybe you feel like one of those priests who haven't yet become obedient to the faith. May I just make an observation to you? Would you consider the way that we love one another? Just watch the way. You know, none of us here are related. Some of us are here are related. I shouldn't say that. The majority of us are not related. We would have no reason to be a part of one another's lives. We would have no reason to care for one another's, another. But we do. You know why? Because Jesus gave his life for us. Therefore, we give our lives to one another. And maybe if you're like those priests, consider, why are they this way? Why are believers this way? An increase of the word of God increases the obedience of faith. I'll give you another example, just to, as we close out here. The Nazis in, in Germany in the 1940s, they actually hated deacons. Do you know why they hated deacons? Because after the Netherlands fell to Germany in the 40s, deacons from the Dutch Reformed Church rose up to care for the politically oppressed. They would supply food and provide secret refuge Realizing what, happen- what was happening, the Germans decreed that the office of deacons should be eliminated. I love deacons. You ought, to, you ought to do a study on deacons throughout the church. They are beautiful. This is what they said. This is their, they responded, the Dutch Reformed deacons. This is how they responded. Whoever touches the diaconate interferes with what Christ has ordained as the task of the church. Whoever lays hands on the diacona, or the deacons, lays hands on worship. Hear that one more time. Whoever lays hands on the deacons, lays hands on worship. These were the kind of men who, who, who deacon the body of Christ, who care for the body of Christ. And you know what they looked at and saw? They saw people who were oppressed. They saw people who were hungry. And you know what the deacons did? They said, we're not quitting. I don't care if Nazi Germany is opposed to me. 
So opposed to all those views of what deacons are, may I, may I submit to you one last kind of deacon that we should be looking for? Now, we looked at, like, Spreadsheet Sam, the, the corporate cliff, all these people. May I submit to you, we should look for a man like Servant Seth. He isn't gunning for an office or a title or a spotlight. He isn't perfect, but he is prayerful and growing in humility. He's not the smartest guy in the room, but he is teachable. He's not the most experienced guy in the room, but he's respected because of the way he treats people. Seth is not a yes man, but he is not also the self-appointed pastoral critic. He, does not, he doesn't think it's his job, or any Christian's for that matter, to gaze suspiciously at godly leaders. Seth loves to fade into the background, not because he's falsely modest, but because he cares about the foreground in the church, the glory of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we, we are in the process of bringing on more deacons, and I will say to you, this is the kind of man we need to look for. Don't look at what he does first. Look at who he is. Is he a servant? Is he like this servant Seth? He's not gunning for a title. You probably don't even know actually what he does. You know why? Because you never hear about it. It's not in the bulletin from week to week. He doesn't stand before you week to week. Oh, but he's among you. He's among you. He's among you and he's caring for you. He's the guy texting you. He's the guy calling you. He's the guy caring for you. That's the guy. Those are the guys. Those are the men we need to, need to have as deacons. And that's the standard. So um, I want us to conclude, um, as, we, as we consider this, I want to continue to remind you to be praying about this. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, it'll be actually in our October. Um, we have a, a members meeting in October. Um, I don't know the date yet. I'll get that date for you. But it'll be near the end of October. Um, but we're going to be bringing forward some names for deacons in that way. And as we saw today, like, it's our job as the church as a whole to carefully select these men. So begin praying. I would actually say before you start pointing, begin praying, okay? Here's one final application for you. Begin praying. Pray that the Lord would lay upon you and upon our church in particularly men who need to step up, men who need to be a part of this in this way. Um, And with that, I want to close us uh, just with a word of prayer, and then we'll turn uh, to our Sunday school hour.